Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host Amanda G, coming to you right after Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a good one. Hope you all got some good deals on Black Friday if that's a thing you do. I don't know. We're just happy to be here. Happy to be bringing you this episode. This episode we bring you Tasha Riley. She's an amazing writer, stand-up, storyteller, part of No Lie Comedy. She's amazing. She's been on our Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling show before. And after her interview, stay tuned. We're going to have a clip of her stand-up, uh, which we're really excited for. Yeah, I don't think we actually have any announcements. If you want to learn more about us, just go to social media, Near and Queer to My Heart at Instagram and Facebook, Queer to My Heart at Twitter. You can find it all there. Let's get to it. Let's get to Tasha Riley. Like the one name. It's a- <laughs> Eventually, when I get popular enough, I will go by Tasha. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I met you. You actually, which was really cool, and I loved this so much. You showed up at a Greetings from Queer Mountain queer storytelling show, yep. and you said, "I've prepared something. I'd like to go up." Mm-hmm. And you had you had notes like you'd written out. You typed out a whole thing. We have a, a theme every month. You had something on theme. And I was just like, this is gumption, and I don't use that word (laughs) ever. (laughs) Um, But I really loved that you put this together, put all the work in, and I was like, you know what? Go on up. And you went up, and you were fantastic, and we've had you back a couple times after that, and now I see you out doing stand-up in the community. You've been on our LGBTQ stand-up showcase that we do once a month, and I've seen you on other shows, and you're part of No Lie Comedy. And you're doing so much stuff now. So what got you to start performing? Oh Has my this, have you been performing? Absolutely not. I am scared to death of every stage I come across. The only reason that that happened that night is because my girlfriend at the time was like, you just need to just go up and just like do it. Like just go do it. And she's the one who made me do that that night. And then after that night, that particular night, Camille from No Lie was there and she said, you. You wrote that? Yeah, come here. And so <laughs> so ever since then, and just being with that group of ladies and admiring them so much and learning so much from them, they're the reason that I even attempted stand-up. Because I never, and I joke about it all the time, but I never see myself as a performer at all because I'm just a big old nerd. You call it gumption. I just call it being a dork. But that's who I am. And a lot of what I write, I've written before and repurposed or chopped up or you know added something funny to when I have to say it in front of a group or something like that but yeah that's that's sort of how it happened it's sort of snowballed into this whole thing so yeah that's what I love about Queer Mountain there's been so many folks that like 
came to the show or participated in the show and it led to other shows. It led to friendships. It's led to yeah. relationships. It's led to breakups. <laughs> we don't talk about that part. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> hey, look, it's part of the, the cycle of things. But it led to that. It led to people, you know, connecting. So I didn't know. Camille actually did, um, I think, if I remember correctly, she was our second episode mm-hmm. that we did of, of uh, Near and Queer to My Heart. Mm-hmm. So, And she's definitely been a, a friend of the show for a while. And uh, did your girlfriend at the time like... What she saw? Oh, yeah. She was she was very encouraging. And she was like, oh, you did great. And I was like, I read something from paper. I mean, it's, <laughs> so, but from there, I mean, it was, you know, it's it's been good so far. I Actually, my challenge now is not having the paper. That's the next, that's the next hurdle to jump. <laughs> For stand-up, I can do it without notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do Greetings from Queer Mountain, I, I still have at least little words, like mm-hmm. five words on a paper. Yeah. Or else I'll miss one. But yeah. maybe, maybe I should work on that too. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pro. You know, about that. I just do it in a slick. I need to get one of those watches. People have those like fucking Apple watches, yeah. and it do- it doesn't look like because you can angle it in a way where it doesn't look like you're looking at it, but it's just got your notes on there. Hmm. See now, Apple for me, that's like changing religions. I don't think I can you handle do doing it? that. No, I'm all Samsung, Google, and PC. <laughs> I am not an Apple person. I not if I get a Google watch, I'll probably try it. All the same shit, right? Of course, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah. No, I used to be all the way Samsung because I was just like Apple. It, this is like monopolies that our country is supposed to be against and they're supposed to be illegal yet here we are monopoly after monopoly after monopoly including our government (laughs) um so i was like against it and then uh my mom was like i have an old apple phone do you want it for free Mm. and i was like i'm an apple person now. (laughs) that'll do it that's what's in it I think they're all a scam. I think every single phone, Samsung, Google, Microsoft, Apple, whatever fucking phone you have, within two years, your battery is going to start to go to shit. And I know (laughs) they know how to make a fucking phone battery that lasts longer than that. Thank you. For sponsorship, please call. No. Yeah. Whichever one of you sponsors us, I will retract that just for you. I will list all those phones except your phone. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I hate that so much where it's yeah. just like, I have these phones and they, like after a year or two, they just start dying and everyone's like, just get the newer, better one. And I'm like, number one, I don't know where all these phones are going in the universe. I don't like it. <laughs> number two, I don't want to buy a new phone. I'm still paying off. This one took me two years to pay off. Hello. My next one, because the one my mom gave me after a year died. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I got to get the Apple still because now I got the iCloud. I got See? all the apps. I, I know how to use the That's phone. That's how they get you. I can't switch back. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> I can't do that to myself. <laughs> so then I get the new phone. I pay it off literally the month after I pay it off. It starts dying. See? You see? That's yeah. how they get you. It's Every time. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Of course it is. We just need to dig them up and find out how it all started and who we have yeah. to, you know, do away with. But they yes. also pit us against each other. See they how do. you're like, there's some people, you know, in your life and they're like, I'm an Apple person. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who are like, oh, I'm a galaxy person. And yeah. then that's part of their identity. And they, they're they going to be brand loyal. It really and is. It's all a scheme. It splits families apart. Uh, yeah. It causes so much division. It really yeah. is. It's a horrible, horrible system. Haven't seen a divorce proceeding without one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a PC and I'm an Apple and we just can't make it work. Yeah. <laughs> they kept saying opposites attract. But... I don't think so. <laughs> Our internal codes are different. <laughs> I'm not going to text, so that's the end of my analogy. <laughs> I uh, I did want to ask, and, you know, we could talk more about, usually I like to kind of go through a timeline of your life, but I'm just going to jump in, jump right in now, because this is, I'd say it's the most controversial thing that's happened at Queer Mountain. We've had two controversial things. Mm. One is a lot of older folks don't like the word queer. 
Um, oh, really? Because it was used as a slur oh, like yeah, 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 way yeah. back. And okay. so they don't feel comfortable with that term. And I understand that. Okay. And I've explained why, you know, we use queer as mm-hmm. an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. And there is a history behind it. Anyway, that's one. So I don't want to get. We can talk about that if we want to. Okay. But, um, I didn't want to get too deep into that. But yeah. So it's just like the idea of like using the word queer for our show. And then the second one that have people have come up to me after shows to talk to me about. And I've mentioned it on the podcast a few times are folks who identify as pansexual or bisexual sexual mm. or some identity where straight dating cisgendered straight men is included as part of that identity mm-hmm. and when someone gets up to our storytelling show and they get on stage and their story includes parts of that mm-hmm. and i know in a couple of your stories that you've told with us we've mentioned your ex-husband right i mean and i've told everybody that's talked to me i've gotten a few messages about it i've had a few people after the show come up to me in person and i just say look this is if somebody gets on our stage they identify as queer mm-hmm. that could include, you know, dating straight cisgendered men. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them less queer. Right. And I know, you know, you've mentioned your husband on the shows and I haven't heard anything particular about like your stories, but um, is that something that you're you're conscious about or do you think about that in, in terms of your queer identity? Absolutely. I mean, it, one of the biggest reasons why queer is a better term for me is because bisexual is something that I always, ha- I've always known I was, but it always has such a negative connotation and it it was always something that I struggled with calling myself out loud. And I, again, you know, tell people all of this all the time that I, this is kind of like the 2.0 version of my coming out because at this point in my life, I'm a lot more open about it because of the word queer and because of how much of an umbrella term it is and how applicable it is to the situation that I've had personally in my walk of life, as you've heard probably already in one of the stories, you know, I, I, I met this guy and we fell in love and we were best friends and we got married and we did all the things, right? Traditionally that you do. But you know, I told him I was bi before we got married. He's a straight heterosexual <laughs> man, but he is straight. He's hetero. He's a you know, cisgender guy. You know, we were married for 15 years and we we're together for 18. We have one child and then we got a divorce and I don't know. I mean, it just so happened that the next person I dated was a woman and women after that. And it's just been that way ever since. So, so yeah, I just, I'm more comfortable with the term queer than I am by or pan. And a big reason, again, for that is the definitions require so much explanation to a lot of the people in my circle. I mean, I'm 42 years old. So, you know, my Gen X and older friends are very, what does that mean? You know, and yeah. you know, I mean, I've actually had somebody call me a bisexual lesbian, which is you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, work that one out so yeah so so queer is just for me it's just a whole lot better it makes me feel a lot more comfortable to call myself queer because I feel that it fits better you know yeah Yeah. before you were married you identified as bisexual Mm -hmm. out to everybody or was that just just to friends and it was very much closeted I grew up in uh I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness so a lot of my hiding a lot of myself came from that and so I guess you can say I ran away a little bit because I moved and stayed in my car for a while and then, uh, when I was 19 and excommunicated from the church. And so that was when I had my actual first girlfriend, officially. 
So, so yeah, so I stayed out there nine months, came back and, and then tried to, you know, walk the street narrow again, that sort of thing. So my, my journey was a little up and down. So my first girlfriend uh, was a Jehovah's Witness and she was also excommunicated, mm-hmm. uh, which I find such a fascinating idea. And I don't know if this is your experience, but from other folks I've talked to, you grew up in the church mm-hmm. and you're told to only talk to church members. Yeah, you can only date, you know, other Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the expectation. Because you are only dating for the purpose of marriage and girls only have one purpose, which is to be married and have children and do all the things that traditional cisgender women do. And in that whole vernacular, the only people you are ever even okay with, that that they're okay with you liking or dating or seeing as available to date are other witnesses. Yeah. And you're not supposed to talk to anybody else unless you're talking to them about essentially converting. That's it. That's it. Because they they consider everyone else outside of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses basically lining up to die and worldly. So anybody else is worldly. So you're either a witness or worldly. And if they see you talking to somebody, they ask, was that a witness? Oh, they must be worldly. And then it's a whole thing. Right. So, yeah, it's 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 a very strange situation. And I never got this about the religion and my ex never like explained it to me properly. Mm. But isn't it like the way that Jehovah's believe in totally correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. is that it's already predestined who's going to go to heaven and who's not. There's a, a layered belief around that. So like there's this set number of folks that's going to go to heaven, right? And then everybody else who does all of these prescribed tenets and check off all these boxes and rules, these people will be the people who will be the meek that inherit the earth. So there's a much bigger group there and that's what you're shooting for. But there's like this little small, very special, very homecoming like anointed class that's going up to heaven. And do we know who they like? Can I be one of them? No, you can't. Okay. So his, <laughs> me I mean, either. what if I'm if I'm already pres- like I'm already predestined to do it, right? Yeah, I know you might feel you are, <laughs> but then you have to then you have to prove you're anointed. Which I don't even know how that even works. All we know is we're told in all the five meetings that we go to a week that there's a hundred and forty four thousand people, specific number, right? Yeah, a hundred and forty four thousand people that are anointed to go to heaven, and that's it. That's it. It's it. Yeah, forever. Mm-hmm. What if they've hit the cap? I don't know. I don't know what happens like if they hit the cap. It's 2019. If they hit the they cap. They hit the cap in 1952. Yeah. They'll be fucked. That's basically it. <laughs> how do you know? I'm, no. I'm not I, trying to make fun so of so weird. I it just... is. It, I make fun. It's fine. But I, the, the biggest part about it that really disturbs you is, you know, growing up, I was a reader. I was a very nerdy kid and very quiet kid. And I would research this stuff and go and ask questions. And no one could ever really answer them for me. They would just, you just have to have faith. You just have to have faith. And really what it comes down to is blind faith. They have the structure they want you to follow and it's blind faith. Yeah. And I've mentioned this before on other episodes, but like I was raised Jewish. Mm. And when you're Jewish, and this is why we're sometimes we're kind of annoying, but like we are trained to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Like we're, they want you. The rabbis are like, give me your, give me your best shot. <laughs> like they're like, come on, come at me. Come at me with this. Oh, you don't, you don't think Moses is really part of the Red Sea? Let's talk about it. And then... You get your questions answered and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, answered in a metaphor that as a kid, you're like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) but someone addressed your question and you were just like throwing questions in the air, throwing like a dart at a wall and, you know, not getting anything, not hitting any numbers. Yeah. It's really like a, 
a mixture of different types of elders in the congregation because you will have a couple of elders that are, you know, very intelligent people that you can obviously tell are extremely intelligent and well-read. And every now and then you'll get a couple of them that are willing, you know, to sit down with you and chat a little bit. But then if they get to an impasse, because I brought a couple of them to that point before, <laughs> you know, I'll bring a stack of books and I'm like, I saw this against this and that. And I want to know, you know, and you'll get so far. And then after that, they'll switch the subject around, especially if you're a girl, they'll switch the subject around make you soften up a bit and then try to get you off of it so there's some people that are extremely sociological and psychologically skilled in that there which I think is what makes that cult so powerful for the people who lock in like my mom you know they they lock in and they lock in hard your parents were both were they raised Jehovah's themselves or was that well my mom was a teenage parent so my mom had me when she was 15 she was dating a drug dealer boyfriend at the time and he was not religious let's just say so so my mom actually found the witnesses when she was a little bit older than that when I was about six and they knocked on the door they caught her at a really good week moment and she was still struggling to find a job and and get some things off the ground she had broken up my, my dad had beat her and she had broken up with him and she was going through a lot and so at that point that was when you know she was living with my grandmother and we were living with the whole family in my grandmother's house my three uncles my grandma my grandpa and I was this young kid and her way of trying to find something better for us was listening to these people who told her, you know what, come with us. We'll show you how to live. You're going to live in paradise one day. Things will be better. Just do this. And she followed them ever since then. She's still in it? She's still in it. Do you still talk to her? We're not allowed to socialize. I know you're like technically not allowed. Yeah, we're technically not allowed. She does talk to me, but what she has to do is she has to kind of cloak it underneath family emergency, family requirement conversation, family required conversation. I have a daughter, so she's been trying to reach out to her and spend time with her as well. So she does talk to me but it's really minimal and again we are not allowed to socialize at all yeah because that's so and we'll go back to i guess the 1.0 yeah um so you said you were like 18 or 19 yeah that that was the first time i was ever disfellowshipped yeah Okay. And you graduated high school at that point? Oh, yeah. I skipped two grades. I skipped from second to fourth and then from 10th to 12th. Holy shit. So at the time, I was... Doogie Howser. No. Uh... <laughs> Tasha Riley. I... <laughs> That's why I eventually I'm just going to go by Tasha. I was about... 15 going on 16. I was a, a senior in high school. I got this opportunity to go to Xavier, as you know, as a Catholic school. My stepdad was very much a new elder in the congregation. Um, me, my stepbrother, my mom, and him. Basically, my mom let him decide for me that I was not going to be able to sign off on. They weren't going to sign off on and let me go to Xavier because it was a Catholic school. Are there any Jehovah's Colleges? No. Okay, well. (laughs) Yeah. And college is, again, one of those things that's really played down for women. You know, there's not like a whole bunch of, oh, yeah, you got to get your education. You got to get, no, there's none of that. So me getting out of school earlier was me becoming a minister earlier. Like Mm -hmm. that was sort of like, oh, great. She's so smart. She could do this faster. You know, I just, you know, I was an artist in the head. I was good at school and I was a fast reader. I comprehended well. I was good with numbers, but I didn't really have a whole bunch of goals for my life as far as anything else was concerned. And so when that came up and they were like, I, they said to me, oh, you can, my counselor said, you can be Dr. Natasha Riley by the time you're 22. And I'm like, yeah, sounds cool. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> like I like that. And that sounded kind of cool to me. So I'm like, 
cool, but I can dig it. So, and then I get out of the house too, because I was supposed to be in a dorm. And that was another reason why my stepdad wouldn't sign on it. So I ran away essentially and went to live with my aunt for a while. And then she went to Atlanta. So I followed her and that was kind of off and on between 16 and 19. At 19, I wound up there kind of living in my car and living with a girl and all that for a little while. And yeah, that's how that happened. So were you in school in Atlanta? No, I wasn't. Okay. I was kind of working. You just uh, went with her because you were like... Floating I... around and following this chick I like. That was pretty, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the things you do, man. The things you do. Yeah. So at that point, you went with to live with your... I say aunt. I don't... Yeah. Aunt. People here say aunt or auntie. I'm from California. We, <laughs> we say aunt. And they're like, that's A-N-T. And, that's, and I'm like, okay. Aunt just... I'm going to say aunt, but... So you go live with your aunt, Mm -hmm. your aunt, Mm -hmm. no, no, can't do it. Uh, (laughs) You go live with your aunt and at that point, does your mom, your mom and your stepdad excommunicate you or? Yeah. So a lot of the trouble started around then. Uh, And they were basically trying to get me to come back. And, you know, my mom and my aunt had a real weird relationship after that because my aunt kind of became a surrogate mother for me because she's like, the girl just wants to do this. She just wants to go to school. She would have signed for me. Amanda if she could have because but my mom was still alive and I wasn't her ward so I you know it couldn't happen that way but she was extremely angry with my mom you know she was a teenage mother too she had her three kids you know so but she was a nurse at that point and moving along and getting her kids ready for college and all that so I stayed with them from 15 to about 19 I just you know kind of became one of theirs and uh, floated around a little bit. I was in a co-op program between Delgado and UNO. So I did finish my associate's degree during that time. But yeah, yeah, that's what I was doing. How'd you end up in your car? <laughs> because I just, I just drove one day. I was really upset and I was, I was going through a lot at the time trying to figure out some things about my life at that point and how to deal with my sexuality and not wanting to be a part of the religion anymore and my parents and just feeling like I caused the rift between my mom and my aunt and things got real strange and real weird. Mom and I had it out, but then my stepdad and I had it out. And then I just got on the road and kept driving. And one day I just did that and wound up in Atlanta. Wow. When you were married, Mm -hmm. your husband was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, so this is a funny part of the story. (laughs) So so I come back. I decide, you know what? I'm not a part of this religion anymore, but I'm going to live my life. I love New Orleans. I love my city and, and, you know, my girlfriend at the time and I kind of split up a little bit, but we're still friends and stuff. So she was kind of in and out of town visiting me. So I'm just kind of living my life. I figured out a way to work and get my own place and all this other stuff. So at some point through all that, I had, uh, I met my now ex-husband and, you know, I think, how did it happen? He, he was very much the traditional guy. But he just, he was very sensitive and in touch with his emotions and very, he was just such a sweet person, like just a really kind, sweet person. And so I just remember falling for him right away and just remember, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fling, but at least we'll be friends. Like that's what I was like in my head. I'm thinking about him like that. So he's the one who kind of clamped down on the relationship. It's like, no, you're mine. And we're going to be together and we're going to get married. Now that I'm going to meet your parents and they're going to love me. I was like, well, okay, let me explain the situation. Uh, you can't be my dad because he's in jail. And here's my mom's story and this is how that went so I told him everything you know and I also told him you know I'm bisexual I know you don't want that you know I mean it's it's a whole thing but I mean hey we can just like you can sleep over it's no problem so because he was a really pretty man so anyway I love pretty men so the 
the relationship just evolved, 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 evolved and went the way he wanted it to go. And it started to make me feel a little bit more on a straight and narrow. My mom started talking to me more. And I don't know, I guess a part of my psyche found that appealing. Yeah. And so he's like, let's get married and I'll do whatever so that your people think that I'm a witness. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he kind of faked it and he faked funk. He came and knocked on doors with me and did all all the things <laughs> wow. that anything they told us That's to do, he did it. it. That is. And he just was like, you know, we're going to do this and you need family. And I'm like, because he, he's family, family, family. I'm like, okay, it means something to you. But to me, it's a little fucked up, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> and how old were you at this time? At this time, I was 23. Okay. Yeah, like 23, 24, dating him. No, 24 going on 25. Because we got married about two years after we met. And I just I just remembered this because on the actual Jamaican, because we eloped, on the, uh, the Jamaican uh, marriage certificate, it had him, 28, as bachelor. And it had me, 27, as spinster. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Was it like after 23? It's like spinster. I guess. Probably after 16. I don't yeah. know. I mean, just, is you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, that's how it happened. And then he was at one point, like right after the wedding, right after the elopement, we came back to town and his family threw us this big party and, of course, invited my family. And my mom couldn't go. And my mom was really depressed and cried and because she had met him. She liked him and they had started getting along and my stepdad was getting along and everybody was getting along. But my stepdad didn't let her go to the party. Because I know there's a thing about holidays. Because mm-hmm. I know that that was the one weird thing because I'm, I'm Jewish. You mm. all celebrate Passover. Like that's the only holiday y'all actually celebrate. Yeah. But birthdays, even I have a lady I work with, I asked her to sign a birthday card for someone else and she wouldn't even sign the birthday card for someone. I wasn't trying to be, you know, I immediately was like, okay, no, pro- no problem. Yeah. But I was just like, you can't sign a card for somebody else. Yeah. No birthdays, no Halloween, no Christmas, no Thanksgiving, no like nothing. None of that. Definitely no birthdays for sure. Like you are not to celebrate your own. But wh- why? Yeah. yeah. It, it has some warped, there's some warped reason why why about there was a birthday with the apostle John involved and somebody got beheaded. I don't know what that was about. I I honestly forgot, but whatever that was about, it was something that was associated with paganism. And from then on, Jehovah's witnesses just believe that birthdays are something that every true Christian is supposed to stay away from. What about Christmas? Is Jesus' um, birthday? So that's not allowed? It's the same thing. Okay. So because that's associated with a whole bunch of paganism, you are not allowed to even touch Christmas with a 20-foot pole. So, yeah, nothing. Passover's cool. Passover's all good. Now, Passover is all good because um, the memorial of Jesus's, you know, death and resurrection is what our whole sacred saving people is based on, you know. So that's the only one we can celebrate. Yeah, I always thought that was interesting because I was like, yeah. this is about the Jews getting out of Egypt for us. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little different for yeah. Paul. It's just, like- it's memorializing his death for us. It's the whole, like, you know, the whole really creepy, scary thing a lot of people do with the Jesus on the cross and all that for Easter. It's that thing. It's really weird. But that's the only holiday that's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. So weddings... Yes. It's not a holiday technically, right? It's not a holiday technically. And technically, <laughs> you can celebrate an anniversary. Yeah. Oh. But you better play it down and nobody can dance. <laughs> yeah. So it's all good. Okay. <laughs> so it's like Footloose over here. <laughs> really? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of weird rules. And um, that's how I grew up. 
So you have a, a daughter. Did you did you always want kids? Is that a thing? No, actually, I didn't know that I could even have kids. I actually only have some of my working parts ever since I was twenty three. So uh, yeah, that she was a shock. <laughs> yep she was a shock yeah well because i always ask people and i guess i think you've kind of answered this question i'm always like why why get married you know why not just be with somebody mm-hmm. like why involve the law why have to register your name mm-hmm. with the government and i know that sounds like conspiracy thing <laughs> why not just commit to someone i'm with you i'm with you yeah i think at the time in my life because of everything that i was going through up until then oh my goodness and I guess I'm saying this and last time I said this I was in therapy Amanda but everything leading up to me me meeting my ex-husband a lot of it a lot of what family even was eluded me so with him just harping on it harping on it harping, how do you not talk to him because he's so close to his mother so they're so <laughs> close and she's she's an angel she's a darling woman but they're so close and his, his family's so sweet. And so I was like, yeah, why don't, what's, yeah, this is kind of fucked up. Okay, wait a minute. He's right. And so because you're in love with this person who you feel is right about this topic, that's a huge topic yeah. that makes you look and feel a little bit normal when you're feeling abnormal, right? And when you've been made to feel abnormal, it can catch you at a funny time in your life, in your 20s, especially. And that's, I feel what happened to me because I was dating whoever I wanted to date. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. And I was telling him all this because we were best friends at the time, you know? So I was just like, I I use men like Kleenex. I don't care. Like, I, you know, and I was working and working on trying to figure out a career for myself and all these other different things. So, but it just caught me at a really tender spot, I think. And because it was him. And because it's what he wanted, I just was like, okay, well, I guess it would make me an honest woman. I don't know. So well, it makes sense. And I think also when somebody was like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, you're like, wow, yeah, that's great. And also when somebody has a family closeness that you're just like, that sounds great. How do I get that? I could be part of this family. Right. Even now in my relationships, again, Found out in therapy that I, <laughs> well, because I've been in therapy and, and, you know, on a whole bunch of stuff, just trying to deprogram myself from all of the beliefs and, you know, all the different things that you kind of go through when yeah. you're conditioned to believe a certain thing about yourself. So I've been in therapy since I was 19. But one thing that I'm finding is a pattern for me with who I date, like who I actually commit to dating, I find out about their family. Oh. And when somebody includes me in that, that's like, that's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to stick with this person. Like okay. they want me in their face. You know, so like that for me has been a thing. It's been a little bit of a, you know, lock in point with it. ladies, if you hear this, this is, no, I'm just <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it has been one of the things that has, has been really appealing to me when I date somebody. Yeah. So get your families ready, <laughs> put them in their best clothes, give them their nice uh, Kentucky Derby hats. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's all, you know, and I'm not trying to have a therapy session here, but I just, <laughs> I, I, I think especially in relationship to queerness and religion, mm-hmm. like the intersectionality yeah. uh, between those two things can be really intense. And a lot of people, you know, end up uh, further in the closet, you know, because of that. And yeah. especially with Jehovah's Witnesses and certain religions that are isolating specifically like even if you are at a public school you're not supposed to interact with other kids unless you're talking conversion so you have this certain and I know you said the word cult but it's it's just a certain upbringing where you're just around like-minded people that even Mm -hmm. if you're thinking something else or you're swimming a different direction than all the other fish it's hard to process that yeah yeah 
that's how the life is supposed to go. Like ever since then, I have a half brother and half sister that my mom and my dad, uh, my stepdad, they wound up having two kids. I had a stepbrother growing up because my mom, when she was single and she had me, my stepdad was an elder in the congregation and he had a son. So they were both single parents. So obviously the congregation just smooshed them together, you know, Absolutely. of course, this is made for, they're made for each other. And so, you know, but this kid was troubled. He was a troubled kid Mm -hmm. and he wound up, you know, getting into a lot of trouble and he was murdered and, um, and then they moved on and then they wound up having two more kids. And so my half brother and half sister growing up when I was going through everything I was going through, you know, in my young adulthood, 19 through about 26, 27, they were not allowed to talk to me, not allowed to be with me, not allowed to say much to me at all. It was a really weird time all because of what they believe, you know, you have to control the minds of everyone in the group, especially the kids. They're very impressionable. Keep them away from people like Tasha. It's effective, too. Like, if everyone you like you literally, everyone that you know on any deep level has now turned their back on you. Yeah. It's going to make you want to come back, even if that's not a thing that you know is right for you. Especially, like, if they're like, well, you can come back, but you can't be queer anymore. And you're like, okay, so I either lose everyone I've ever known in my fucking life. Mm-hmm. Or I don't, quote unquote, don't be queer. Just like repress myself. Basically. Part of who I am. And that, those are your two options. Those are the only options yeah. you have. When I was dating my ex-husband and he was willing to come to the Kingdom Hall and all that stuff. Basically, I had a meeting with them and they pulled me to the side and they said, so did you get all of that out of your system? That was what they said. Because they kind of dig up your file and look at you. And, and that's that's what they told me. So did you get it out of your system? I was like, I guess. I don't know. You know. Yeah. And that's a, it's yeah. just a, such a tough position. And I'm yeah. sorry you had to go through that. And like, I just can't imagine. I don't know. My parents like are so supportive and great and wonderful. So for them to ever at any point. Like my dad once said, like, if you were a murderer, I'd still visit you in prison. Like, which I was like, but. <laughs> Okay, like pick something else. Like, it's like, I just want you to know, like, you know, oh, like, I love you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but you could just say I love you. Like, you don't have to be like, if you were in jail. <laughs> and one, one good, uh, there's a couple, there's a lot, actually, of good things that came out of me deprogramming myself and kind of pulling myself away and actually being able to observe myself later. One is my dad, my actual biological father, got out of jail, you know, changed his life, got married, had a stroke, and... Since then, like he and I have become a lot closer and I've developed a relationship with him and he is he's coming out of uh, therapy one day and I'm driving him back home and he's like, you can reinvent yourself however many times you want. That's great. And I was like, huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> and and it was at a really it was right after the divorce. It was like uh-huh. right after that tough time and he saw me kind of struggling through and stuff like that and he's like you can be whoever you want to be. And yeah, like, oh, he's right. Okay. You know, so you, you have these little moments every now and then with your actual biological parents and you're like that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> Oh, missed out on that oh, but so, also yeah. so if you were still a jehovah's you wouldn't have this opportunity yeah so you know it's really great that you've been able to to reconnect yeah yeah it's it's been it's actually been really good for me it's been i mean i'm sounding really selfish here but <laughs> for me it's been very very good because it's it's given me a little bit of of hope in that area with the word family 
you know, because at least I still have my aunt. I still have him. You know, my cousins are great. You know, my uncles are awesome. You know, there are people in my family where, no, they may not understand my queerness and they may not truly get it and truly believe, you know, that they're still thinking that I'm going through a thing because I'm divorced. You know, it's like, oh, she'll be fine. She'll come back around when she finds the right guy, that whole thing. But at least at some level, I do have family at some level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's great. And people do come around. You'd be surprised, yeah. you know, some people that are uh, staunch this way and then they're like, oh, you're still just a fucking person. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what you're doing behind closed doors because it was none of my business in the first place. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't have to know each other on that level anyway. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. But, yeah. you know, but I'm hoping one day that it'll it'll change with some of them. And if it doesn't, I'm actually at a point now in my life where I can still love them from afar. So I'm okay, you know, with who I am and where I am now, which is just this part of my life, I think is the most exciting part. Are you still religious at all? Oh, God, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, I, I'll tell you this. I went on <laughs> when as I'm going through to Atlanta, I went on this whole quest. Right. So I went to tabernacles and prayer halls and hooked up with all of these different preachers and pastors and bishops and this and that and Buddhist temple, which I really like. I really like the Buddhist temples. But I did all of that stuff trying to figure out if I was a religious person or not. And on the other side of all that now, what I basically I think I'm agnostic. I think I'm just kind of like, we don't know, we can't know. And I've landed there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I border between atheism and agnosticism, Mm -hmm. depending on how I'm feeling that day, to be honest. (laughs) Some days I'm like, there's just nothing. And then some days I'm like, the world is so beautiful. There has to be something connecting us. Yeah. Like, you know, you have, have you ever had those moments where you're thinking just, Random thought pops in your head. Like, uh, oh, I remember in sixth grade when me and Shannon Biggs went to the pool. Mm-hmm. And then you haven't heard from fucking Shannon in 20 years. And then Shannon messages you on Facebook. Yes. And you're just like, how the fuck? Like, I literally, <laughs> it's just so weird. I know it's going to sound creepy, but I was just thinking about when we were in sixth grade. Oh, my God. A- and you're like, how the fuck? And you're like, this universe, there has to be some sort of, like, connection between humans. And then that's when the agnosticism comes in where I'm like, there has to be something greater than us out there because humans, we're not that fucking great. <laughs> that's the one thing that jehovah's have right it's yeah. like this earth is we're not we're not living our best lives at any point in time on this earth so hopefully there's something more out there let's hope you know and, and don't tell shannon that you with that's probably gonna creep her out but i think <laughs> i really and, and that is one thing the, the witnesses are very big on you're small you're nothing you are grateful to be alive you know stay there mentally and that's how they get people to stay there yeah you know but yeah i i think i've landed on i guess there is something but I don't know what it is and I don't claim to perfectly understand it or claim it as the truth but I like the Buddhist people Buddhist people are cool (laughs) I've never never been to a Buddhist temple but they just seem really chill oh they're so chill oh they're so so chill but they will beat your ass like the the monks man don't don't mess with a monk don't do it just don't do it I'll keep that in mind (laughs) next time I run into a monk out on Bourbon Street (laughs) have you uh, with your how old's your daughter she's 10 so you have a 10-year-old daughter. Are you out to her? This is a whole different conversation is the parent conversation. Like how long, like, was this something that she grew up knowing? Is it something that you waited for the right time or Here, for a partner? Or? Here's what's interesting about that. I didn't feel the need to actually come out to her until I feel that the partner I have is someone that's going to be in her life. And up until this point, because the divorce is still semi-fresh and because she's 10, 
right? Unless she actually asks me who a person is. When she comes, this is what the therapist has told me. When she comes to you and she asks you about something, that's when you have the rest of the conversation. And she hasn't asked, you know? So like there was a one woman that I dated that she hung out with us a little bit and I thought she was going to ask and I was ready. I was ready. I had my verbiage ready. I had my little, I had my index cards. I was ready. (laughs) And she didn't ask anything. But then I was hanging out with some friends of mine, you know, all the girls from a queer feminist book club that we're a part of and we're hanging out at somebody's house and I remember her saying after we left she's like I like your friends can I have them (laughs) (laughs) and she was just cracking a little joke but she just was like yeah I have some friends like that like that and I was like like what so she didn't dive into it too much that night but then a few days later I heard her talking about oh yeah I remember those friends I told you about she really reminds me of one of your friends because she has two mommies and I was like huh okay she's picking up on some stuff so we're getting there and again I'm ready to have the conversation but I'm letting her lead it that's good to have like she even has queer representation in her life already to just yeah. have a very casual like yeah it's a two mommies over there like that's that's a thing that we didn't have yeah for sure so I, I think that's like she's already has that exposure in life that like at a younger age than I did yeah it, and it's interesting because my ex's family is very evangelical Christian obviously my family is with being Jehovah's Witness and she stayed with my family out of town for a while for the summer for a couple of weeks she's like mommy you grew up like that you were in church all the time you know because <laughs> i tell her when she's there respect the rules yeah. you know and do what they do and um she does the same thing at my ex's family's houses as well and they are definitely you know not queer friendly at all in either of those camps so again part of me letting her lead the conversation is me sort of finding out if they're saying anything to her too mm-hmm. and if she's feeling any sort of way about it. So, but once she lets me know, then I'll I'll take it from there. But I don't want to barrage her with anything that she has to process the way I am processing it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That makes you're doing the right thing. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, goodness, I don't want to throw off. Yeah, there's, there's no perfect <laughs> way to parent, I've been told. I don't know. Trust me, what you've been told is true. <laughs> there is no perfect way. That you just you do you do things as it comes up, really. Because yeah. I guess when I was growing up, and both of my parents listen to this, but um, <laughs> my parents are when I grew up, they acted like they'd never drank before, they'd never smoked <laughs> weed before, they'd never done anything before. And then when my parents got divorced, I got to hear all the shit, you know. Uh-huh. Like they took the approach of like we're gonna not tell them anything until they're older. So I always thought like my I parents gotcha. were these squares, and then I was like, oh, they were actually pretty cool, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's actually nice to find out about it that way at that age too. Yeah, because that's sort of. I think when you should see the cool side of your parents, you know, 16, 17, that's about right. I'm yeah. thinking. It's like y'all went to concerts and did stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you just go to sleep at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> we were always good kids. <laughs> always. We're always good kids. We only knew good kids. Yeah. Good they kids all around. Did our chores and homework. <laughs> that was it. fun. It was so much fun. That's all we did. The Which that's, chores? trust me, that's all about control. That's that's what that's about. Because I do the same thing to my daughter now. It's like, yes, absolutely. I love broccoli. What? <laughs> of course I do. Of course I do. 
My parents never did the thing where they were like, you can't leave this table until you eat everything on your plate. (laughs) They never did that. And I am thankful. (laughs) My kid has never been the kid who eats easy food, which is very upsetting for me because I eat chicken nuggets and macaroni and she doesn't eat macaroni or mashed potatoes, anything easy to cook. No, she wants a whole, ever since she was three, we would go out to a restaurant and she would have to have an actual adult plate. She wanted nothing to do with the kid's menu. Oh, but the kid's menu. So I still get the kids menu sometimes. She's a diva. Yeah, I, was like, I love pizza, mac and any carbs, mac Thank and you. cheese, chicken nuggets Hello. are amazing. Burgers, yep. bring it on. Yeah, fry just she fries for dinner. She doesn't even eat burgers. Yeah, good luck with that. Get salmon, <laughs> rice, you know. Okay. Really? Okay. Yes. Well, she'll be healthy and live longer than us. <laughs> uh, I guess. But that's how kids rebel now. You're like, eat macaroni and cheese, and yeah. she's like, I will only eat salmon, mom. <laughs> No, absolutely well, not. What, I know you just, you know, started getting into the stand up and the mm-hmm. storytelling and like, do you have any, do you have an end goal for that? Did you get into it being like, this is what I want to do with this? Or is it just like a creative exploration? It is. When this actually all took place, it was in the middle of me finding out that I was going to be leaving town next year because I'm a delegate for London Screenwriting Festival of 2020. What? I attended the Vancouver Film Festival in 2018 right after we separated. And... As a writer? It was into just as, yeah, indie, indie writer. And it was really interesting. Nothing got picked up, nothing, but so many notes, so much just, oh, it fed my soul. It just absolutely, and I love Vancouver. It's very beautiful. Oh my God, I love Vancouver. Anyway, but... After doing that and kind of getting my juices flowing again, because I've always written, it's happened that I started doing the comedy from storytelling. The storytelling came from parts of scripts that I've written and submitted and gotten notes on and stuff like that and picked some pieces out and added some of my own story to and jokes to. And then the jokes come from more jokes on top of the jokes I'm writing for the stories. And so it's evolving my writing it's opening it up. It's cracking me open in a different way. And that my writing is so much better because of exploring it this yeah. way. Because you can visualize it probably a little better. And get feedback too. So you're moving to London? Is it on oh the- God, I hope so. Okay. Uh- <laughs> like what's happening in 2020? I would love it's almost 2020. To. I know. It's coming around real quick. Uh, so March, I have a submission and a pitch and we'll see what happens. But I, uh, I'm hoping it all works out. So by June of next year, I will know if I get picked up. I'm so excited for you. Good yeah. luck with that. So we'll see. If I get picked up, I just, you know. Don't I... forget us. <laughs> like a tax auditor clients will have to find somebody else. Oh, oh. boo-hoo. Oh. Um, but yeah, that's so hopefully it all works out. If it does, then. Yeah, we'll hear about it. We'll definitely post it. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for sitting down with us and taking the time out. And can you let the folks know where they can find Tasha? Yes, Tasha. Tasha, T-A-S-H-A, Riley, R-I-L-E-Y dot com. And everything that branches me off into anything that I'm doing will be there, usually on the either She's Doing It page or the Watch This page. So anything that I'm doing will usually be on my website. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This is fun. So today's story is a coincidences versus irony. And obser- or, you know how I love double titles, an observation of my life and identity. <laughs> Tonight, I want to start with something that pisses me off. 
specifically because I am not normal. I'm not allowed anywhere else other than venues like this to rant about what pisses me off because I'm not a friendless English professor, a rude and classless hip hipster, or Trump on Twitter. <laughs> but there are two words tonight that I'd like to clear up once and for all. A coincidence is defined as two chance things that happen the same way. Medieval Latin root coincidere gave us the bastardized English word coincide, meaning to agree and be the same. So coincidences exist in the same space or they are things of the same nature like people you never knew as a child that you meet as an adult, you find out they grew up in an overly religious household, just like you did, and you wind up getting high and drunk and you become best friends you know, and neighbors in the same bar. You also become alcoholic and excessively promiscuous for the same reasons. <laughs> Irony, however, is opposite of all that. Irony means the opposite of what you would expect to happen or want to happen occurs or the opposite of what you wanna hear is said. It is radically and intentionally different. Now the Greek root eron, which coincidentally sounds like moron, was <laughs> derived by Socrates' method of treating morons as if they were wise. Actually, the root word itself translates to simulated ignorance or to mock something. So, as a wildly improbable example, if we were to find out that Trump is bisexual and RuPaul and he met in disguise in Acapulco, that things they have a love child from an orgy with a Mexican-American billionaires with business partner being deported because of her becoming a victim of his new immigration law and due to family shame, he loses his fortune and has a stroke. This is not a funny coincidence. This is what we, what we would call a hilarious, ironic situation for him. So there you are. Irony is not coincidence, even though situations in life can be both coincidental and ironic. All clear? All right. Good. Now, back to me. Okay. All my life, I've desperately wanted to fit in with any likable group. I mean, sure, we all have people who surround us from work and school and even in our family that we love and the rest of them. <laughs> and no coincidence that you have wanted to, it's no coincidence that you probably wanted to fit into a group too that you actually like and people who are desirable to you as well as, because, you know, you have like no doubt some people around you that you love, right? And the rest of them. But we all wanna be surrounded by love and accepted. Humans are coincidentally the same that way. It becomes sickeningly ironic when you decide to express a part of your identity to be the same as a group you feel a part of and sometimes even love within. But within that same group, there's the rest of them. You know, the dark side, the few. The ones that will never truly accept you. The ones that tout unity and love equal for all, but only show it to some. I just so happen to be a part of a few human, at least I think they're most, mostly human, groups that have this as an issue. I am part of the LGBTQ community, but, but some feel bisexuality demands that I pick a side, as it were, because being married to a man for 15 years and after divorcing him to be in a happy same-sex relationship is too socially confusing and therefore shouldn't be allowed. You think you're confused. I was married for 15 years. I thought orgasms were a myth. 
there's the nerd aspiring writer community. I follow, I do, I do my part, okay? I follow darkly sarcastic comics. I wrote fan fiction through high school to not kill myself from loneliness. And even became an indie author, screenwriter, and comic, all because I love other nerds that do too. Alas, there's that dark side. There are the few that will never let me truly be in because of not being able to readily find something I've written in a Rotten Tomatoes lineup. And, and this is really the main problem for some of them, I don't currently have a penis. It's a problem. So with this, there's a lot of things that need to be explained in detail to me about the irony of mis misogynistic capitalism in publishing and production. So what, I'm supposed to believe that forcing the executives to not represent the population at large can equate proper entertainment decisions or that Haley Berry really did make a good ironic Catwoman? <laughs> maybe I'm just confused. Or maybe, maybe we coincidentally need equal pay and access in this industry so it reflects half of everyone any damn way. And yet another group I belong to are black southerners. Now, when you're not a not-so-skinny black girl from New Orleans, there are certain things that you're expected to like. If you are this same girl and you want to join in with family, laughs, and make friends easily, you'll keep trying to force coincidences, putting yourself in situations to say you like things that you don't. Eventually, talking white, eating differently, and getting British puns and being black, you very quickly become the ironic joke of the family. So, for example, Gumbo. Now, gumbo is a symbol of southerness more than it is a dish. Whenever I'm out of town staying in someone's home, especially in Texas, Texas and California for some strange-ass reason, they ask me to make it for them. They say, oh, you're from New Orleans? Isn't that a coincidence? My nephew's girlfriend is from Lafayette, and she made us some gumbo. So you... And then I'm supposed to know how. They take one look at me, and they assume that I do, and I don't. Now, they probably assume events in my childhood as well, such as me being in the kitchen with my grandmother, only knee-high by her side, cleaning and chopping onions, and peeling and debating shrimp, following her step-by-step -step instructions, watching her every move to imprint upon my young mind the real way to men's hearts. Right? And it's a rude and ironic awakening to people who get to know me to find out that no, that didn't happen. The few times I've ever been in the kitchen at my grandmother's side was to bother her while she was cooking for everyone else to stop cooking and watch me dancing or force her to listen to me read aloud a story that I wrote. And whenever I did want to learn to do anything in the kitchen, it was to bake sweets for my already deserving friends who coincidentally danced, sang, and were with me. Not to bring one over. True to her ironic form, I had a rebel grandmother that always told me, Forget marriage and kids, baby, and go for your dreams. So there's that. Back to gumbo. So gumbo is usually cooked for and served to groups of people at a time, right? Making it a social event. And the few folks who make it really well are usually known for it in their social circles. I've had the honor of tasting it several times in groups that I then wanted to be a part of. And from some of the most reputable makers of it. And I've even sampled gourmet versions of it that won awards. Every single time I tried it, no matter the maker, the version, I always walk away with the same feeling. Gumbo, to me, 
is the mental equivalent of what licking a dirty leak must taste like. <laughs> <laughs> Eating it does not make me feel more African or Caribbean or Native American or French Creole. It just makes me say to myself, well, damn it, here's another thing that'll make you an ironic weirdo to everyone you meet. <laughs> the only thing that makes this experience 10 times worse and yet, at the same time, somewhat redeeming, is when there's okra in the gumbo. Now, okra is one of those vegetables that is either loved or hated by people, whether chopped and added to a dirty lake of gumbo or battered and deep fried in vegetable fat. Most folks know that it is an acquired taste and you are allowed to not like it. <laughs> you have to get a pass, an okra pass, okay? So when it's in the gumbo, it's easier for me to wave it away by per preference in local social situations without fear of being ironically rude to someone's offer, subjecting myself or subjecting myself to a public flogging, which will happen in a black barbecue. <laughs> Isn't it funny though, how there are things that we are supposed to like and assume to know a lot about because of the way we look and where we come from. And also, isn't it a bit cheeky that there is a day that can tell us what we are allowed to not like? Coincidence? <laughs> I guess this is why I've tried over the years again and again to sample this and that, do things others expected me to do, taste things, all that crap. I know deep down that I don't like any of this shit, but I still try it ironically. And in some sense, there are things in life we all do this with. We only notice that we're just trying things that we'd rather not even bother with if people would just leave us the fuck alone. <laughs> things like certain expected careers, well-researched and common degrees, marriage is the ideal, having loads of kids, owning property, episodes of Real Housewives and GOT. <laughs> it's all just social pressure, okay? Now, some would say that these types of thoughts are just me expressing limitations and walls I've created around myself, and that might be true. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that that stuff is stereotypical generalizations, right? Like expectations of everybody. Now, if you notice, we shun or make fun of the irony of people. We only feel comfortable with those with which we presume coincidences. You notice that? That we all have some range of expectations in our adult lives that come from what we look like and what people expect from people that look the way we do. And there are sometimes parallel lists of things that we're also expected not to like. So it's okay if they're coincidental to the beliefs of a certain group that you want to be a part of. So if you're a writer, you can only be traditionally published and wield the penis to truly know what you're doing or to be able to prove you can. And if you're a black girl from the ghetto, you are not allowed to know anything about Monty Python or admire people like John Cleese or without also being neurotically obsessed with Doctor Who. It's not allowed. That and, you know, other stuff you're supposed to actually hate. British rule, colonialism, enslavement, and bad teeth and teeth. I'm a black girl from a poor urban area. I am not allowed to like any of that shit. The world around us made these lists. I know people listening or reading this, the people who do from my writing, will doubt what I say, but it's true. If this were not true, we would have worries surrounding such things like racism, cultural appropriation, or gentrification, or Kanye. It's <laughs> that lots of times, lots of the limits that are created internally can and usually do originate from our environments, our nurtured conditioning, our social expectations, people who coincidentally love us to death. 
or at the very least to the point of where we're sucking down as many Zolofs and Xanax and whiskey as a step of life. Now, whether based on coincidences or irony, good things or bad, stereotypes are still stereotypes. Folks who know me know that I call myself an ironic weirdo in the good sense of what that is. And I wave my free flag high in the worst of situations all the time, thoroughly to the embarrassment of friends and family alike. And this is one of the things that makes me socially awkward, but it's also one of my superpowers. And it's a superpower because it gives me more fun coincidences with those I love being around. I love the queer community. Yeah. I call it queer land. In queer land, I don't have to worry about fitting in or picking just one gender or sexuality. I can have it all. I'm love for all I can be. I'm finally accepted, and in queer land, I am in and out. <laughs> I love queer land so much, I'm trying to recreate it everywhere I can. A real queer land. A truest version of a world where we are all actually equal. We do what we love and get paid the same. We do who we love, and when we announce our love to our friends, we'll get treated by our friends the same way as before. We never have to over-explain to make some other person feel more comfortable. And if we want to, we can all be black from the South, thicker than a snicker, and avoid Oprah. Yeah. Always, yeah. especially in the gumbo that half of us don't even eat anyway. <laughs> we can be black from the ghetto and simultaneously have a passion for puns and British humor whilst hating slavery and ethnically provoked war, drinking good tea and lager, and not have to concurrently be a Dr. Who fiend and even take excellent care of our teeth. I stand with the freaks who believe that no one gets to tell us what to like and what not to like. And I hope tonight that I've proven that all of my life may have situational irony and coincidences, but life is better served with equality and options. Coincidentally, if I were to start blending in with the normals anyway, I wouldn't know myself and I'd be plagued with depression, anxiety, and internal conflicts that would make me drink even more than I do now. <laughs> it's no coincidence living up to this ideal is much harder nowadays that I have a daughter growing up to be very much a beautifully ironic weirdo like her mother. You know what? I, I think I'll just get her to try some okra. It'll be so far. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.